0: Love, talk Radio. I'm getting down to the sum of this. The sum of that. The sum of everything.
1: Come, come, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. All
0: right, day 59. Uh, day 59. Wow, 59 shows. But uh, here we are, almost a year in. Um, Today I've got Heidi Cox returning. She came on recently uh, within the last few months to speak about Stalk and LeVar and creating the Dweeb Darlings, and it was a great interview. She was actually stated uh, by some of my listeners as one of their favorite guests, actually. Uh, Really great lady, but she also uh, mentioned in the interview that uh, stalk and LeVar saved her life, and she was in an abusive relationship. So I figured, hey, we really didn't, give that a whole lot of attention on that last show, and I think it deserves a little more focus. So we did a whole conversation on the whole show about domestic violence, whether it be uh, abuse physically or mentally or child abuse. Uh, these are things that need to be uh, looked at, even if you're a male or a woman, which, which Heidi is very particular about as well. Um, so I think you'll uh, you'll find the, um, the value in this program today. So if you or somebody needs to listen to this, please listen whenever you can. If you know somebody who needs to listen to this, make sure they they hear it. Uh, And if you have to think about it, it probably is something that that you're involved in. Uh, Before we get to that, I just want to say that um, I think it's amazing, really amazing. Um, But next week on this very show… Uh, I'll be celebrating one year of podcasting, and I don't know how I made that happen, but I did a year of podcasts, and I've had a lot of great guests on that I'm very proud of, and I'm very proud of this program. Uh, Thursday of next week, I'll be celebrating a year of podcasting, come get some, with my very first guest, the very first interview I've ever done in my life of another human being. Uh, voice actress GK Bowles will be coming back. It'll be an extended edition. It's going to be kind of long, because we're going to be, uh, Basically, she's going to help me celebrate a year of podcast, and we'll talk about her. We'll talk about the show. We've Got a lot of great, a lot of love. We'll be shared with everybody having to do with this show. So make sure you tune in Thursday next week for that. At uh, I believe it'll be 12:30 uh, p.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, at at his usual start time. Uh, but today you came to hear about uh, domestic debu- uh, domestic violence and abuse, and, and you know uh, how Heidi got through it, and uh, hopefully they'll inspire you, encourage you, and help you. Uh, Make decisions to to get yourself out of your situation. Here it is, uh, Heidi Cox on domestic abuse. Okay, uh, my guest today has been on here once before. She is the Dweeb Darlin and creator of Stalking LeVar. And she uh, was on here last time, talked about how Stalking LeVar saved her life. And uh, she wasn't joking. If you went back and and read her article, which I posted on that podcast, it very well may have saved her life. We're going to talk about domestic and emotional abuse abuse here with uh, Heidi Cox. Welcome back to the show, Heidi.
1: Hi, thank you. How are you doing? I'm
0: doing good. It's really great to have you back on. Um, I, 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 I might have mentioned this to you once before. I'll mention it again here. Um, <laughs> I've had a lot of people on this show, and I have a lot of great guests, but um, – it's so funny because we we, we we are we are doing a re record so <laughs> so this isn't really news to you. I'm not gonna ask you to act but I told you 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 are you are uh told by my friends and listeners as one of my best guests I've had. So uh, I'm really That's glad to have really you here.
1: Nice, I still can't believe that. But thank you.
0: No problem. It's um and I mean it. You and I mentioned it again. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, it's fine. Go ahead. no, I, um, I mentioned it again. Like uh, I've already recorded my year end show, my well, my year end by a year anniversary of doing this podcast, and I recorded it with G K Bowes, and it was just part of the conversation. It comes up again, my best, one of my best interviews, Heidi Cox. So,
1: Aww. so
0: you're always welcome Aww. on the show, Heidi. Wow. Thank you
1: so much.
0: And then, and then everybody <laughs> just crazy. listening for the first time is like who the hell is Heidi Cox? But uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> That's
0: me. But you're awesome. You, you've you made a name for yourself with Stalk the and, and the Darlings. You're really starting to, to get things going. You've done the uh, panels at the cons for a while. Uh, but this whole thing with um, the domestic violence is a serious issue that I wanted to bridge, and I wanted to bring you in on this. You can tell I didn't know which way I wanted to say the word breach or broach, so I went with both uh, pronunciations. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, I, I just wanted to get a little bit more about your experience and try to influence and encourage other people in bad situations to do something about it as opposed to mm-hmm. taking it, which I think is a, is a heavy and, and very common thing that we see. Sure. So uh, I'll, I'll start out with how you end up in a in an abusive relationship uh, in your experience how, how did you get from point eight to, you have an interesting story behind it and I'm, I'm interested in, in visiting that
1: <laughs> how I how I ended up in it right right did I have I written something about that I'm trying to remember I mean I just I think it, I think it's you know uh, there was violence when I was growing up you know my, my dad was violent had some anger stuff that he was, you know, um, I don't know, navigating, I guess would be a good way to put it, and uh, it, it kind of, it affects you as a child, I suppose, and, and um, I've been in a couple of relationships that were not healthy. Um, the, the one that I wrote about uh, in the article, How Stocking a I Saved My Life, was probably the most um, dangerous and violent one but I, my, I had a fiancé back in South Carolina where I am from who was also emotionally abusive and you know you just kind of you follow patterns it's like an old wound you know and, and when I moved out to Los Angeles um, he the guy that I ended up with for six years here uh, was one of the first people I met and I felt this, this amazing connection to him Uh it, it felt as sort of intoxicating in a way, but there were red flags. I just,
0: just ignored them. You know. Right, because what happens is, if if I believe, uh, I believe most times what I hear about with people that I've known who've been in situations like that is, it doesn't start out abusive. It doesn't start out as, uh, as as the the environment is going to become as, as time goes on. And you didn't see the warning signs in the beginning. Right. And then you feel yeah, like... Yeah, I
1: mean, actually, in hindsight, in hindsight, I see quite a few. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but, but yeah, at the time, I didn't. Yeah, like, I, within the first few months of, of um, spending time with him, I should say, uh, there were things he said to me, there were things that he did. Um, some of them I, I don't really want to get into, but, like, um, one thing, for example, I remember him telling me how beautiful I was over and over but then one day we were sitting in the car and he told me about how his friend said to him that you know Heidi could be a pin if she just lose the weight and then he started mm. talking to me about how I needed to lose weight and how I had these big thighs and hips and that I should try to um, get rid of that because that was like he kind of took sort of this um, guru sort of Approach using like Eastern philosophy and sort of bending it in certain ways. And he told me that, uh, you know, I kept my my family history and my pain and my, my thighs and that I should try to work those out by going to yoga and <laughs> working on it. Yeah. And I remember, I remember when he said that to me, I thought to myself, I can't believe he's saying that to me right now. Like, that's crazy, you know? And so that was definitely a warning sign. He also mentioned to me at one point before that even that he was worried that he'd become like his father and his father was silent so that was a pretty you know a red flag as well um, but I chose to ignore it because you know people a lot of people who end up in situations like that they have a tendency to want to believe the best in people and you know when you feel a connection with someone you want to really try to explore that and see what it's about so you almost can't tear yourself away from it
0: yeah, I mean, you want to believe that the best over or the the good outweighs the bad is what you're thinking, and this was the first hint of of mental abuse you're saying, because that was he's twisting he's twisting yeah, things around. Yeah,
1: for sure. Mm-hmm. So it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. So that's kind of how it started, and then I I think it just triggered this need to sort of. I was really hurt by that conversation. I remember, and there was an urge I had to just sort of walk away from it and be like okay I'm done but I didn't do that instead I listened to that urge that I had to um, prove myself to him and make him see that I was worthy and that I was enough um, because I guess essentially I didn't believe that I was so if he if I could convince him that I was then that would mean that I was enough instead of just loving myself and knowing that I was already enough and you know and it just sort of it became kind of this obsession of mine to to be
0: in his life. You just said something that, that, that we can revisit down the, down the line a little bit, but what you said right there was perfect, was instead of uh, caring for yourself and loving yourself and, and being okay with who you are. Right. And that's that's where Stark yeah. and LeVar came in, the whole process <laughs> of you uh, working your way out of yeah. being beholden to him. Um,
1: yeah, I think the year, years after that, that was just the beginning, and then, uh, you know, like, cut to um, four, four and a half years later, I'm still in this situation that's gotten incredibly violent. It's, uh, it's, uh, it, it had gotten really dangerous. I had pretty much lost myself. You know, I didn't really know, remember who I was anymore. I don't know that I ever really had much of a sense of self without external validation. Um, so... There were times that I did try to leave, and split, we would split up. And and I remember I would just feel empty and um, sluggish and miserable and sad. And I had a whole life that I could live, but I kept wanting to just go back and check in with him. Maybe it'll be different. Maybe he'll maybe he'll miss me enough now. And hmm. um, so at some point there um, at some point there was this. Uh, my mind got into this place where it was just like, what am I doing? I'm spending all of my time obsessing about this. And I'm, I came out here to, to be involved in the entertainment industry and to create and to be an actress, and I wasn't doing that at all. And he will constantly remind me that as well, even though he was always sort of taking up my time for his stuff. Um, he would still try to find reasons to criticize me. And um, I just remember I had this idea for, um, for the Love series Uh, something we are and I just thought well a good friend of mine from who had lived I'd known her since we were kids but she lived in Chicago for years doing sketch comedy and she had moved here and I I called her and I asked her if she'd be willing to to uh help me write this series and so we started writing it We, we wrote the first two episodes and um we created Weed Darlings and that person is Megan Green um and uh, she's still involved. She's still, I would say, she's my technically my partner. She's my, uh, my Wozniak. <laughs> I guess mm-hmm. I'm the Jobs and she's the Wozniak, so she's kind of more quiet in the, in the whole situation. But but that in and of itself was the thing that helps me walk away. It gave me a sense of who I was again instead of making, because I was making everything about him. All of the energy that I had, everything that I was able to cultivate, I would just give it to him and hope that he would love me. I just wanted him to love me so badly, but I would just kept giving, giving, and he just kept taking it, and, you know, he didn't really, he, he would give back just enough to keep me sort of, I think, attached to him in a way, although it was sort of this weird kind of borderline situation where it was like... He'd, he'd want me to go away, but not really, and he'd try to kick me out, but then he'd want me to stay, and he'd need me to help him with this, and he'd think I was so beautiful, but then he'd turn around and tell me I wasn't, and that I was that. He would cheat on me, but he really loved me, and there was just, it was just, you know, and then it got violent. Whenever I had, whenever I wanted to stand up for myself, whenever I had a backbone, whenever I really showed up for me, that was when he went on attack that was when it got really bad that was when it would go from telling me how pathetic i was or how horrible it was that i did this or how i was really being very selfish um and then it would eventually i would i would continue to try to engage with him try to get him to see that he was wrong by having a conversation but he didn't want to have a conversation and so it would turn violent and there were many times that i thought that um, i you know could have been killed
0: you actually uh, point out a very specific example in the article you wrote um, about about mm-hmm. this where you thought you were going to die one time. Uh, you were being uh, pushed into a pillow?
1: Yeah, there were a couple times, actually. Um, that, that time, yeah, it happened two times in a row, two or three times in a row. He was angry with me, and it was the only way he felt like he could get me to shut up. So he, he um, pushed my face into the mattress on the bed and then climbed on top of me through so he was like straddling my back and his hand was on the back of my neck or like on the back of my head and just he shoving my face down into the bed and I couldn't breathe and I tried you know your, your natural instinct is to try to free yourself but the more I did that the harder he pushed me down and I just remember thinking to myself that I'm gonna die this is where I die and if he kills me. He's not going to want people to know, so no one's not, no one's ever going to know what happened to me. You know, people are going to think I just disappeared or something. And um, <clears throat> he did it twice that day, I think.
0: On the same and then day. there was another
1: time where he um, he got angry with me for talking about something. Um, probably something I to do with how I felt about something. It's probably one of those instances where I showed up for myself. And um, we were in his office. Uh, at his home office and I was helping him with work and um, he came over and took dish towel and wrapped it around my neck and squeezed and made um, me promised to shut up or, you know, because then I remember telling him I didn't want to die. So, it got really, really seriously dangerous.
0: Did you feel like you deserved that?
1: No. I, I, I knew I didn't deserve that. But, what I wanted Outweighed my um, ego, I guess, in some ways. Mm. I mean, kind of hard. Egos are funny because they, they come into play in in, <laughs> in so many different facets of our life. Because you know, part of wanting to win him over was also my ego. Right. But I was willing to sacrifice. I was willing to sacrifice who I was. I was willing to sacrifice my ego, which is who I was, in order to get this connection with him or have him see me. Because it was. It was all about abandonment and um, not dismiss. I I just wanted someone to actually see me for who I was and love me for that person and want to be with me as that person. And uh, and, um, I had invested so much. I felt this connection with him. And um, there was probably a little bit of, uh, like, stuff, I mean, well, not a little bit. There was a lot of my dad's stuff involved in that because he was also over 10 years older than me, so... There was that, you know. Okay. And, uh, he had this sort of kind of guru. Some some people in my life refer to him as a cult leader. Like he could have been. He could have easily been like a like a cult leader. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I've been because covering. People, people do admire his charisma, and like they, you know, he has he makes a great first impression for sure.
0: Well, I I I've been covering Scientology a lot. I know you know how you you keep an opinion off of that, but. uh but uh, I've had like a uh, a licensed therapist, that's actually like a couples therapist on recently, and that we talked about mm-hmm. the comparisons. There is a lot of comparisons between what a cult leader would do, and what an abusive spouse mm-hmm. would do. It's the same the same mental, oh yeah, the, well, the same parents, mental, you know, yeah. Parent as well. well, that's important, and, and that's we are true. going to talk about that because uh, you you would link this back to your father, and the whole thing is, you wanted your father. Um, I imagine more than anything to to respect and love you and uh, be, that that's almost like yeah. a myth for you and then you get this boyfriend and you're kind of reliving that you're trying to make it right because it didn't work before maybe it'll work now is kind of is that kind of something am I close on that?
1: Yeah I mean I don't think that it was that conscious Right you know, oh no like this is what I'm going to do because you know, I think it's sort <laughs> yeah. of this reflex that we have you know and it just mm-hmm. It happens, and it happens I mean even after him I, I chose you know another partner sort of poorly for um, a, a time and he wasn't he wasn't a violent, but he was definitely um, he emotionally unavailable and sort of neglected to show up for for something that he had um seems so passionate to show up for so you know I, I chose that person too I mean and, and it's sort of this pattern that you kind of see and luckily I, I noticed when I'm making <laughs> Um, there, there are good people in my life now and, and I think it continues to that, that number continues to grow yeah definitely um, people that, that actually love me for who I am and, you know it's the thing that I always say is like surround yourself with people who already love you instead of those people that you think should love you, because you don't have anything to prove. You're already valuable, you know, and the people that are worth having in your life are going to see that.
0: Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the whole thing, you know, because you're in acting and, you know, I'm you know, working on that entertainment thing, and when you're in the entertainment business, people keep telling you if you have to pay for it and they don't want you, then it's probably not good. Mm-hmm. And I think the same thing might apply right. in, in relationships and, and in people you bring into your life is if they don't see you for who you are, if you have to work for their attention and affection, then they probably not aren't worth the effort. And that's a that's right. a fact. I think that's a fact. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, that's exhausting. Yeah. Why do that to yourself?
0: It really is. It really is. But, but, but we do it. <laughs> you know. It's human nature. Yeah. That's beyond. That's beyond the pattern. That's human nature. But um, we always want what we can't have. You, you know. Uh, yeah. You mentioned children affected, and that's a big thing. If you look at statistics, a lot of times there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot a lot of effects on the child. Um, a child that witnesses abuse, which there's a lot of children that witness abuse in homes, um, they get affected mm-hmm. in multiple ways. Either they're also abused. Or they grow up to be an abuser, or be abused. It's it's like right. there's three ways they can go. They can be an abuser. They'll be prone to being abused, or um, or they're just being abused at that time, or all, all three is right. possible. To, well, two of three. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, something like that. I mean, that. I
1: think it's just kind of a toss up. It's uh, probably a little bit of nature and nurture involved there. You know, how what's the what's the nature of that person, that personality, and how is the nurture affecting them?
0: so I mean uh, something that's real important to me again is uh, if you go back again to where you thought you were going to die those several occasions you described um, mm-hmm. when you think you're going to die a lot of times people don't survive that moment or the second moment or the third moment mm-hmm. so it's almost right. like you probably got out just in time because you you may have already really yeah and, and so if you're in the situation
1: yeah, I, and I think go ahead. I think with I think with this with my abuser, too, I don't think that his goal was to kill me, I think, in that moment. Maybe if I had stayed with him longer, he would have gotten to a point where he wanted to. <laughs> I don't know. But um, his goal wasn't to kill me. His goal was to make me be quiet, to control me. That was his goal, to frighten me and control me, to be what he needed me to be. That was the goal, and that's the goal of a lot. Now, some of them, I mean, they all have different... Goals really all kind of come from the same place of needing to control their quote partner. Um, some of them more than others, you know. For I've him, I've heard stories. He, wanted, he didn't want me dead.
0: I've heard stories, uh, several stories, like you know, real stories, uh, where the husband kills their wife, and the the way it's explained in the end when they get caught is they didn't think they would they didn't think that their wife was gonna die. They didn't think their spouse was going to die. Right. They, they
1: were to scare them. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Uh, just trying to uh, shut them up, like you said, just trying to stop what's happening, just something mm-hmm. to keep them at bay. And uh, that whole choking thing, that whole suffocating thing, um, mm-hmm. other than lack of any movement whatsoever, there's no sign that you went too far until you've gone too far. So yeah. it's a, he didn't have to have intent for it to happen. So right. so you did get lucky and uh, that is a concern I yes, think. I, I don't ever want to excuse that kind I did. Yeah, of I yeah,
1: I wasn't making sorry. I wasn't making No, I don't think him. you were. My 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 point is, is that it can happen very easily because a lot of a lot of these they are in a rage, they don't they they do know what they're doing because they if you think about these abusers and it's the same thing with mine. They have a moment to pause before they act. And if you're in public with them, they won't do it. You know? Um, If you're outside, if there are people around, they won't do it. So they do have the ability to pause. I remember once um, I was in the cooking and the house that we were living in and that kitchen had a window that was facing the street and a nice neighborhood people could walk by and drive by and see into the house with somebody staring at the kitchen window or whatever. And I was standing at the kitchen window doing dishes or something and we were fighting and he got angry with me and... It was evening, so the light was on in there, and you can see inside. And um, before he threw me to the floor, he took the time to turn out the light first. Mm. So they, they know what they're doing, but at the same time, sometimes they don't know that they're going as far as they are. So right. And it can happen so easily. So it's important to get out if you can, which there has to be a way. You yeah. have to have a plan in advance.
0: Definitely the plan is important. I've read that. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. For me, I wasn't trapped to a point where I needed a plan necessarily. I was able to be kind of pretty much on my own free will. Um, some of us continue to go back even though we're told that we're not wanted. But so that's why we go back It's because we're not wanted, we want to feel wanted by this person, we still feel, contact- we still feel connected to this person, we need that connection for some reason, where we're trying to resolve something, we're trying to prove to them that we're not pathetic, or we're not selfish, or we're not, um, you know, that we are nice, that we're a good person, and that person's going to take that and use it against us and say, you're, you're not good, you're not a good person, you're not a kind person, and, you know, and they'll, they'll, use your, they'll use your friends against you. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember mine had had me convinced that, like, people didn't like me because I was socially awkward and that I couldn't have a normal conversation. Like, he had me almost completely convinced that I was like that. And I would actually make jokes about it with him and be like, oh, yeah, I'm an awkward Heidi, you know, like, just to kind of play along with it because that was how I was able to maintain this connection with him. And um, he had, there were people in his life that would... Back him up, you know, and say, "Oh yeah, for sure." But like a lot, he, my person was a narcissist, and a lot of narcissists have like usually—I can't remember the term for it—but they usually have like someone that kind of is is like on their team that kind of like gets snarky with them, and and you know, eventually they have falling out with those people too at some point. But but um accomplice. But he had a few, yeah, accomplice. That's it, yeah. I and mean, he had a few of those, and they would back him up. I mean, I, I remember a friend of his telling me, yeah, I shouldn't have said this or done that because then he wouldn't put his hands on me, you know, and, and so, and then, then they also just kind of go, well, you know, your friend blah, 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 said this, and you know, that means this, and you know, they're really kind of lying to you anyway because I'm the only person that's going to tell you the truth. If somebody says something nice about you, they're lying to you, but I'll tell you the truth about you, you know, stuff like that. You know, they'll, they'll mess with your head. So there is that version where it's like we could walk away, but we don't because we have this insatiable need to prove our worth and our um, intent. And then there's the other, the other version of, of the, the victims or the abused who are trapped. They actually are trapped and we really do need an advanced plan and we need a person they can call and we need a code word. All of these things in advance. And perhaps they need to hide a phone,
0: especially know? if there's a kid um, so involved. So that they
1: can call the person, you know. And, and you gotta and and um, it's it's even harder. It's, and, you know, there's there's the domestic violence hotline. There's a website for them. Um, there are resources there, but the main thing is you do feel isolated so it's hard to find a person even when you're choosing to go back you feel isolated I felt isolated I felt isolated from my family even like because because he had also convinced me that my family was dumb and didn't tell me the truth and didn't know what they were talking about and uh, I was in danger of becoming just like them if I you know interacted with them that they were manipulative or that they were, you know, like all these things. And, and the truth was that that was just ridiculous hyperbole and paranoia on his part and um, the need for control. The more they isolate you, the more they keep you away from, you know, um, friends and family or they don't, they don't attend, like, events with you to support you. You know, that that was also the case with, with my partner, my, my abuser. At the time, he really didn't come out with me, with my other friends, you know. Yes. Um, which, you know, and when he did, he usually did something that made people really uncomfortable. And they would want to say something to me. And then eventually, like, a lot of my friends just started to stay away from me because they were so hurt and sad and frustrated that they didn't know what else to do, you know. And, I mean, it's, it's like watching, because I've seen it with people that I know that I care about now who are in abusive relationships. They don't even have to be physical. They can be any type. I know even emotional. It's like watching someone that you love walk right into a burning building and you try to stop them but they can't hear you. Keep walking. Walk right in, you know. Yeah. And that's I mean, it's interesting that I'm, I'm getting, like, the other perspective of it now because, like, I see how that must have felt for, for people um, in my life, you
0: know. Well, you never see more clearly so, than after the fact. You know, hindsight is 2020 20 uh, to be cachet a little bit, yeah, but it's true. for sure, true.
1: but it takes a lot to get out of it. When you're under, I think the one... I don't know like I think the thing is is that you you get a form of Stockholm Syndrome you become Mm -hmm. compassionate for your abuser you have this compassion for them and you you want to protect them and you feel sorry for them you know because people that are like that are sad like they're miserable people and if you fall in love with somebody like that you want to you want to help them you want to save them you want to be their knight in or their fairy godmother or their you know (laughs) Something yeah. that they're angels that just rescue from. And, and the thing is, is that a lot of those people, it's futile, it's you know, and, and you lose yourself doing right. that. You completely
0: lose yourself. Oh, it is exhausting so. for your friends too because they see that, they try to help you, you don't listen, and they go, I can't help somebody who won't well, help it's, themselves,
1: you know. It's, it, it's like they listen. I remember I listened and I knew. That I shouldn't go back, but I kept going back. I couldn't stop myself. I couldn't stop myself. And that was, that was, that's why I've been in therapy for like three years now, because I wanted to know why I felt this overwhelming urge to go back to a person who essentially really didn't like me and didn't treat me well and try to make them like me and love me and treat me well. Why did I want to do that so badly, you know? And you come out with all kinds of reasons when you're in the moment. Like, you know, is it Dane, Dane Cook has a really funny um, bit in his stand whether or not you like Dane Cook or not. This has a lot of uh, validity. It's like there's this situation he's describing where the girl is miserable in this miserable relationship and her friends are like, no, you know, you should just, you should go, you should just leave. And the girl replies and goes, you can't, it's not that simple. My CDs are in his truck." You know, like <laughs> you come up with reasons
0: mm-hmm.
1: why you can't go.
0: You're invested. And a lot of them are
1: way more important. They're way bigger than, like, my CDs aren't in this truck. Sometimes you're married. Sometimes you're, you know, you've been in this relationship for a really long time. But in my case, I was, I've been with him for six years, you know, like, I'm going to leave. I, I, I put so much into it. I, you know, I, I knew our routines. We had a life together. Like, I, I wanted to help. I knew how, I kind of understood him. And he was feeding me something that I thought that I needed, but really I was losing myself. and then i finally I finally figured it out, and I really think it was just different part a different part of my personality, like like the child' um part of my personality because that part of my personality was like, let's make a TV show. I and mean, like, what grown-up is gonna say that? you know <laughs> but I just decided yeah, I'm going to start creating my own content because I'm tired of waiting for people to cast me and I don't have the energy to really hustle, but I really would love to create something with my friends. And so I did. And then it gave me a sense of self and then I started surrounding myself with more people that were positive, who actually loved me, and I was able to slowly walk away. It took time, though. It took a while. It didn't happen all at once.
0: Uh, another thing that is a part of what you went through What other people go through a lot of times can be um, That part of being stuck where the only way out you feel like is suicide Or sometimes your violent partner does a murder Realizes he made a mistake and kills themselves. It's something I've been reading a lot about um, In research for the conversation uh, Was there a time where you thought you needed to take your own life? Sure,
1: yeah I felt that way a lot I got to a point where I felt like no one loved me and um, I was worthless. And I was so unhappy and so miserable. And I, it felt like the only way out was to take the pain away. And that was the only way to take it away. But I never went as far as to have, like, a plan or... Right. More for me, because it kind of sounds sort of like a weird Catch-22 sort of... Um, Statement to make, but I wasn't quote brave enough to do it. If that makes sense, like no, not it does. that I think yeah. suicide is necessarily brave, but like it's a scary thing. You you have to really mean it, and and I I at times, sometimes I would wish that I would go to sleep and not wake up. Stuff like that, you know. You know, you know uh, it was really hard. To
0: a silly thought about that is I would feel the thing that would make me want to kill myself more is if I failed <laughs> if I did it and failed because then then you got to live with that yeah. you know and um, but failure. I'll tell you I, failure.
1: that must be like a guy thing
0: I don't know <laughs> but the, <laughs> the thing with it is uh, it's so funny because I say funny a lot. I say it's another interview. I say funny a lot. I don't mean funny. I mean, it's interesting. It's unique. It's funny and the, interesting.
1: Yeah.
0: It, it's not funny at all, actually. But I have a friend uh, who does Dead X Radio who uh, who went through this whole thing, the suicide period. Not the the physical and emotional abuse, the spousal abuse, uh, domestic abuse, but the, a lot of the feelings you go through, a lot of the emotions, a lot of the right you get in, it sounds similar to just someone who's just so mm. depressed that they're suicidal. And it, there's a lot of no, there's a lot you know of, what, of parallels you, there. If you're
1: a victim of abuse, you're
0: definitely with And when stuck. We we did we did a show and talked about it. He's got an article he put out about how to deal with depression. And one of the things he says, like the first thing on this list, the three things he put together that worked for him, was find what your passion is. And if your passion is Uh, that your girlfriend didn't leave you and cheat on you which was his case or in your case could be if your passion was that your boyfriend wouldn't hate you and beat on you and and, and be emotionally abusive think about what was your passion Mm -hmm. before you were in that situation and go to that and then that's what you did you went and you started a TV show because that's something that uh, you probably would have wanted to do and you've been holding off because of your situation
1: well I was told that I didn't have a lot of talent too. Mm so it was just all of that you know i Someone pushes you down and you just start to believe it, you know, and it makes you not want to try. <laughs> it's like, it makes you want to prove yourself in one way, but at the same time, it makes you not want to try. It's such a weird existence, and it's so confusing, and I remember not knowing, like, the next relationship I was in after that, I didn't know which way was up, and I was like, I wonder if it's okay for me to need this from my boyfriend or like, I, I don't even know what, what I need, like, like, is this unusual? Am I extra sensitive? I mean, I know I'm extra sensitive, but like, it's just like an unreasonable request, or, you know, and and you get in your head about, about stuff, and, and you're just like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what to do, and I don't know, you know, and I think it's just more about just really being patient with yourself and giving it time to reveal, like, you know, who you, who are you, like, who am I? What do, my favorite color is blue. You know, you can start there.
0: <laughs> Did your therapist actually do that with you, like in the show? Did you ask about color? No, that was like,
1: <laughs> that. Oh no, that was a whole other thing. My no, I just that was that was one way I started to try to find myself was to think about what do I like. You know. Oh uh, cool. The therapist, the color thing. That that episode. That was sort of based on. Actually, the actor kind of gave me the idea when I was talking to him about having him on an episode. And he was like, it would be funny if if uh, you're talking to me and I just randomly ask you what color you prefer. And I was like, that be was questions. really funny. And then it reminded, me, <laughs> it reminded me of this mediator I went to when I was a little girl dealing with my dad's um, sort of the whole violent tendencies with my father and family court. And my mom was trying to, because they weren't together, my mom was trying to keep... Um, well, and I was, too. I didn't want to visit my dad because he would be, beat me up, you know, like, or right. he'd get angry with me for things that I didn't do, or he'd accuse me of stuff and I would have to admit to doing it, or he would hurt me even though I didn't do it. And mm. so um, I didn't want to go anymore, and so we kept having to go to court to try to try not to, and it just kept, you know, and, then, and even in, in that situation, I remember it was like, I didn't want to see him, but I did love him, and they were decided part of me I wanted to keep trying, but I would go back to see if he was going to be different this time. He was never different. It always ended up blowing up. always ended up being the same, and um, at some point, it eventually would go back to that, and, but this mediator that I went to, it was court-ordered for us to try to see this person. I can't remember exactly why, but she would have me come in and talk to her, and instead of just talking to me, she would ask me all of these questions, like, you know, like, from a survey. And mm. I remember she did it the first time, and then I went back the next time, and she did the same thing. And I think I was 10 or 11, and I was like, are we ever going to, like, <laughs> talk? <laughs> and so I kind of based, based that episode a little bit on that experience, too, was a cool. mediator who just kept asking me questions from a survey. Like, it was really frustrating
0: because
1: oh. I felt like I wasn't being seen and I felt like I wasn't being heard. You know, and, and I, to this day, that's something that I that I struggle with. It's, it's a big thing. We all just want to be acknowledged and seen and, you know. Well, for people to tell people me... Some people want to try to erase us from their lives because they can't, you know, they're trying to erase us from their lives because they can't handle anything more than what they're already dealing with. And then in that way, we have to try to be okay is their
0: reality, because it's not mine. You know, it's not ours. It's theirs. Right. So, well, for people to tell me that you are one of my best interviews, you're being heard. You're being heard. Um, <laughs> that's lovely. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're on here, and I really hope there's people who need to hear this listening, because you're hearing somebody again, like you stated, that's from both sides of it, who who's seen it all and experienced mm-hmm. it all, and and a big part of your right. story is. Is, is how you got out of it and how you moved on because while you were with this partner you thought this was it basically like it doesn't get any better than this
1: but how do you I feel I didn't think it was better Either I just felt this uncontrollable urge to stay in the situation like it was just this I knew that I probably I knew that I wanted to be treated better but I just hoped that he would do it <laughs> Right. But I mean, at the same time, like it, it, it existed independently of the fact that I also believed that I deserved better and I wanted more and that I needed to get out. Like that also existed. You know, those, those two facts existed separately within me. It's like, you know, I, I I can't stop myself. I really love him. And then the other the other side was that I need to get out of here. This is ridiculous. What am I doing? You
0: know. But how, do to to to... Hmm? how do you feel now compared to then? How do you feel now compared to then?
1: Definitely better. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I still have a lot of work to do. Sure. There's still so much work to do. There's still residual damage. There's still collateral damage. I still find myself making poor choices. Um, but it's getting better. And um, I think it's a lifelong... You really have to, you really have to work at, it, at being your best self, you know. Um, and the happiness is not really a sustainable condition, you know. We feel all kinds of feelings, and that's okay too. Yeah. A lot of them are exhausting. Grief is definitely exhausting. That's one of the really hard ones to to um, deal with. It's annoying because it's like, oh, I have to grieve this, and I don't want to, you know feeling sad, feeling angry, being okay feeling angry, that's one thing for me, but I, I think even today I was talking with my therapist about how, well, she was t- pointing out to me that I'm, you know, I have a hard time sitting with myself and allowing myself to be angry about something or with someone. To be angry with someone is very difficult for me because I'm worried I might become maybe like my father or something, you know, like. There's all kinds of things that are going to come up, but I think it's also really interesting and in exciting to know more about yourself and to learn more about people. And as awful as like sometimes the sadness can be and and encompassing if it is, it's still kind of beautiful in a way. And my melancholy side talking, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But I think for people that are um, victims of domestic violence or emotional abuse. I think it's really important to, to really, even though you don't feel how worthy you are knowing your worth, you need to logically just tell yourself that you are enough and that you're worthy. And um, the people that are trapped, there's, there's always somebody out there that can that can help you. And you may have to go about it a way that that may seem odd, but, you know, I think you know you were talking about a statistic one time when we were talking. What was the t- the statistic on the homicide? You said like, oh
0: man, it was uh, more likely. It was a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it was a lot. Um, yeah, it's
1: like it's not much. It's not much different, right? You said if you
0: leave uh, within a few least, days.
1: Yeah, I I think there's a reason for that, and I think part of it is that a lot of times people leave without a plan, and they don't. They don't have a plan. There's that. Um, they don't, or they still, they still have an uncontrollable sort of um, Stockholm attachment to the person, and so they end up letting the abuser in again, whether it's literally letting them in or taking the phone call or meeting them somewhere. Yep. You know, if, if you have to meet your abuser somewhere, make sure it's a public place. Do not ever let them take you somewhere that's not public from the public place? That's good advice. Um, Maybe not typical walks. You know, have a plan in advance. Have a person in advance. Have a few people in advance. Have code words. Take self-defense classes. You know, um, be as prepared as you can. The hardest part, it is still hard, is is when you have had someone in your life for a really long time or for an intensely, a short amount of time, but it was really intense even because it's speaking to some sort of reflex in you, then it's important to get to a place where it's it's so hard to to completely separate yourself from that. It hurts so much, even when that person's hurting you, because you have this attachment to them, and it is so painful. It's like like a death, you know, and that's what I think. I mean, I've seen it, actually, honestly, I've seen it in my sister. You know, she's struggling right now, and I see her constantly allowing an abuser back into their life over and over and over again Um, and that's I think what what really will will get you into trouble now I that's just my own theory I haven't done research on it but I know what people who are abused I I know how they feel in a lot of ways and I've seen the ones that are trapped They, they don't feel like they can go anywhere they don't have money they don't have you know there are shelters there are there are these things um, They're definitely... To, it takes a lot of effort.
0: It's yes, definitely options. Definitely yeah, options. I'm going to post... It pose. takes
1: a lot of effort, and you might, have, you might even feel deceptive and guilty because you're a good person. You're a good, loyal person who's kind, you know, but you might want to read about codependency <laughs> or <laughs> know, are enabling, because all of those things... Too. Like, like the, the moment when you start taking care of yourself and you feel guilty for taking care of yourself... That's when you really want to stop and go, wait a minute. Why am I feeling guilty for this? This is something that's good for me. And, it's you know, th- those are the moments where, where you have a little clarity usually. Or I did, anyway. You know, me standing up for myself. Like, that's not a bad thing. No. But people will punish you for it, you know. They will. No,
0: I I I know. if you I'm gonna put up on the website on this uh, podcast a link to the, uh, the domestic disputes hotline and the website, uh with all the statistics and all the information. Hopefully uh people who need it will be able to get to it know there are options mm-hmm. and that there are people who wanna help and not judge. Um but uh, if you have that's a kid there's a lot, kid, a lot. If, if you have a child and you're uh and you feel trapped and you wanna leave and it's not one of those things where you're stuck there emotionally um, there, there's a way out, and you don't have to spend the rest of your life in a shelter just because that's your first recourse. But eh, you got to get out of the situation for the quality of life for you and for your child. That's uh, that's my feeling. Well, those
1: shelters have plans to help people get work and move on. Yep. So, but, I mean, once you do move on, you need to make sure you're staying safe. I mean, like I said, get, get more locks. I think my mom, at the time, when she put up with my dad, she got something called flip-locks, which I guess you can't open with a key. So, like, you know, stuff like that, you, you really have to, have to plan ahead, you know. And that's frustrating, but it could could keep you safe and it might save your life, hopefully, as well.
0: Important to point out, point and disclaimer, uh, Heidi and I, neither of us are professionals or experts in, uh, in this exactly. area We're just giving advice And our feelings on it uh, And basing it on Heidi's experiences And hopefully um, uh, Heidi's work You say you're working Towards getting through it And, and you're It's a work in progress always But you've come a really long way And I think very highly Of you for it Yeah um, Thank you I think you're a great I'm, person
1: yeah, I, I'm I, just I, a I'm just a girl You know, <laughs> got, you know doing, doing our own work And you know We all have stuff That we have work on so, You're um, butt. I should say the domestic the domestic violence hotline is eight hundred seven nine nine SAFE S A F E or seven two
0: three three. Excellent. So that's the you
1: can call. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to tell people out there? Any 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 further words of of wisdom? Wisdom. <laughs> well, you know.
1: Funny. Um, I don't. I don't think so. It's Just that you're valuable, and you know, um, you, you're welcome to email me too. I have a. I'm also on Twitter at Miss Heidi Cox and um, at Dwee Darlings, and you can go to my Dwee Darlings website, com and there's a way to email me on there. So you're welcome to reach out if you ever need anything, advice, or questions, or you know, if you want to pitch a show.
0: There you go. She means <laughs> you know, you it, people. He means it people. <laughs> uh I really I really do okay. think highly of you. I'm really glad that you that you moved on from that situation and that you were able to create the show in the in the uh you know, in the company you created for making these these shows and that you've come a long way. I mean uh I I if I didn't know your past, I wouldn't know your past, you know what I mean? I would think uh, uh one of the best adjusted people out there. You're welcome. Uh, I really mean it and thank you for coming on doing no this.
1: yeah. There's no way to know people's stories just by looking at them, you know. So everyone has a story, and uh, you know that's just mine. So
0: thank you, sweet. No problem. It's not. It can't be ever, ever be easy to talk about this. I know you've talked about it before, but uh, again, I really appreciate it, and I really hope people got something out of this. It's it's been great talking to you again. Me too. Yeah,
1: it's All been right. it's been really
0: good talking to you. too. All right, I'll have you on again soon. I really do appreciate it, Heidi. You take care. Me too. All right. So that was the awesome Heidi Cox. Really appreciate her doing that. Like I said on the interview, uh can't be easy to talk about. Uh, can't thank her enough for uh, giving her her time. And hopefully again, as I said in the interview, uh, somebody got something out of that. Tomorrow on the show, tomorrow is my extra special Scientology edition on Friday. Uh, it's at 1230, about a half hour earlier. I'm going to need more time tomorrow. Tomorrow I have a special guests coming back it's been on before uh for a short bit we'll talk for like 20 minutes and then uh i have the interview uh part one of my interview with tony ortega the authority on the subject of scientology i feel and i'm also going to be um uh talking about Lori hodgson and her uh and her son and daughter, who she had uh, written some letters to. Who knows if you've ever seen them, uh, but they will be read right on the air tomorrow, as I promised, uh, per conversation I've had with Lori on, uh, via email. So uh, there's a lot to cover tomorrow, and I think it's a great show, and I hope you all make it for that. And, of course, next week, the year anniversary celebration with G.K. Bowes of Come Get Some. Make sure you're here for that. Uh, lots of love to be spread around, as I said earlier. Until then, until tomorrow, uh that about sums it up. Take care everybody. I'm getting down to the sum of this. The sum of that. The sum of everything.
1: Come, come, yeah.